Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. What the point is, uh, we're actually legitimately speaking about boycotts and uh, a, go- a gospel version thereof. But before we get there, I want to just because I just want to catch you up on, on a little story of a road which I've traveled since joining the church. I remember shortly after joining Shofar Sukunda, there was a, this period in my life where I just had this, this hunger to know more of God, to, to grow, to be able to have accountabilities, to be able to learn more about Jesus, what salvation is, how to reach people, go on missions. And what that results in is you get to a point where Church is great and small groups great and quiet time is great, but you start watching videos and this thing on YouTube and this and that. And after a while, I realized, yes, like I really can't stay up with this. I keep up with this. It's difficult. Not because it is the content which is difficult, but my English just doesn't match it anymore. Like there are words being used which I just don't know. And one of those were the word, of the sentence which I remember the guy said, repentance will bring cleansing. And I remember hearing that sentence and thinking, Repentance sounds like repetitive, so probably something about repeat. And cleansing I heard last night on a Gaviscon advert. But I'm pretty sure this verse is not about you have to get repeated harder. And that's when I realized, yes, like, I don't know all the, all, the, all the words. And I went to a friend and he told me, this is what you call Christianese. There's actually a term for that. There's Christian, Christian verses or phrases which people just so easily use and it goes back and forth and back and forth and everyone uses it and understands it. But being new in faith or new in that, in, in that um, phase of growing, you just don't know what it is. And I re- remember about two years ago, a friend of mine coming back from a cycling trip told me that on the cycling trip, a couple of the guys were chatting and they were saying, the one guy was saying, sure, I really have this extremely difficult situation I'm going through. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this anymore. And one of the guys on the cycling trip with him was in Germany and he said, brother, all you have to do is come lay down your troubles at the cross. 100% the answer to all our troubles. But for that person, it meant absolutely nothing. It's Christianese for him as well. What does it mean to lay my troubles at the cross? Like, so draw a cross in the sand and then put something on it. How, How does that look? No one knows, or he doesn't know. Is it a truthful answer? Yes. Is it a right answer? Also, yes. But sometimes we, we have that Christianese. But these two Christianese examples, the layer troubles down at the cross, and the second one which you're going to get to now is the two which I want to, want to go into tonight. But the second one is, I have to give you a little bit of Afrikaans first, because there's a song in Afrikaans which says, Philippines 4 vers 4, eh? Yes. So, that is, that is also, I was about four years old probably when I heard that the first time. But verblijen in the year, like, find your joy in the Lord. For me it was like, it's a lekker liedje to sing, but it doesn't mean anything for me. And I remember feeling just like this guy from the cycling trip. Great advice, like, it's cool, it's, it's amazing, but how does that look practically? And what we're going to do tonight is, with our little poiki course, look into these two Christianese examples. Like, what, is, what does it mean to lay your troubles down at the cross? And what does it mean to really find your joy in the Lord? But before we go on, we've introduced Poiki Course now. So quickly tell the person next to you, when was the last time you had Poiki Course? And also, what Poiki was it? Just 
No pressure cookers. If the guy next to you had to think very hard now, please pray for him, for repentance. Cool, I didn't think Poikikos conversations would go so long. Cool. So let's get, let's get into our poiki. So any poiki needs a, a main, something which the whole pot is built around. Like for tonight is going to be a little lamb. There we go. And that lamb is Philippians 4, which, which we already introduced. So that little lamb is going to be Philippians 4, and that is what we are, our entire pot is built around. But if you just put lamb into a pot and put some hot water on it, it's, it's just not that great. You need, you need to spice it up a little bit. You need to add, a, add different things. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to use Philippians 4 as a basis. And then after that, we're going to introduce two different sections, one, one from Ruth and one from Acts, to be able to cross-reference into Philippians, speak into those truths, the two which we, are, which we are worried about, which we say, yes, this is Christianese to us, and have those cross-references break open Philippians 4 for us, and then right at the end, after all this is mixed together, we trust God to give us that hearty meal, that truth served at the end, to say, this is your poikikos. Not only with the lamb which he gave, but with a little bit of spices and a little bit of veg from cross-references in the Bible, and then we're going there. So cool. I hope that makes sense. But it does mean we're going to work through three different, uh, different sections of passage, and I'm going to start immediately with Philippians 4. Well, so Philippians 4 from verse 1 says, My dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. I urge you, Dodia and Syntychai, to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh yes, Sagas, since you're right there to help them work, work to help, them work things out. Do your best with them. These women worked for the message hand, for a massage hand, and in sorry, this these women worked for the message hand and hand in hand with Clement and me, and with the other veterans, worked as hard as any of us. Remember the names are also in the book of life. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on, the, on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. And here we just pass through that. Revel in God. Like find a joy in him. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into praise. Letting God know your concerns. In in the different translation, it says, don't have any anxiety or worries and rather cast your hope on God. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. If we only stop after that verse, it's, it's good enough for tonight. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Think of that for a moment. I, I'm sure I don't have to convince anyone to think really hard to get to a worry. Whether that worry be a family member or work, or finances, a marriage might be on the rocks, good friends or good family members whose marriage might be on the rocks, or whatever the case may be, those worries, we all have them. And here it says, it is of great joy when Christ replaces the worry at the center of your life. 
Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. Now, this is a very important verse for us because our minds are not set onto what not to do. So up until this point, we've heard the don't worry. But it's like saying, don't think of an elephant. But now the next verse, God starts telling, or Paul starts telling us what God wants us to do. He says, it will be best for you by filling your minds with meditate and meditating on the truth, noble, reputable, authentic, and compelling and gracious things. Not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work, into, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes, me, who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. Now for me, that's a great, great verse and also very convicting. Because basically what Paul says is, I've had it all. And I've had poverty. I've had much to eat and I've gone to bed hungry. I've seen the world and I've been in dire straits. But there's something in his life which was constant, and that was his joy. Like, how, how is that possible? How, is it, how, how can it be that he finds this, and he says, yo, doesn't matter that things go up and down and up and down. I can be exactly the same through all of this. And that, that reminded me of a discussion she had with a friend uh, quite recently. Uh, where he said, yes, Renier, there's ups and downs of life. That's what gets me. I can either, even if I'm just 40% happy all the time, that'll be better than this 100%, 0%, 20%, 80%. Like, even on the highway, we don't like it. Then a tag is in front of you, then you're at 80, then you're at 120 again, then you want to pass someone at 140, and then someone's in front of you at 60. The ups and downs of life is usually what gets us. And it was a, it was a fun conversation, a, a back and forth a little bit, and laughing about it, and, until it took a very deep turn very quickly, and he says, all these ups and downs make me wonder if I really, if I really want to be part of this lifestyle. I was like, yes, Lord. That escalated quickly. But that is, that is really how it is. And if you speak to people who have considered taking their lives, well, what many of them say is it just became too much at a certain point. Not my whole life has been tough up until here. It became too much at a certain point. There was an up, probably followed by a down and up again and a down again. And whether that is a marriage or a personal relationship or whatever the case may be, many of us say, yes, like these ups and downs, I just can't handle. Paul says, I've handled all of it. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And that's what we're delving into tonight. Say, Paul, yes, like, share some of, some of your secrets with us because we also have ups and downs in our life. We also want to handle it like you. So yeah, now we've been through our, our little lamb, the, the, the piece that keeps the pot together. And now we're going to introduce a little bit of, of spices with, with Ruth, Ruth 2 actually. We're going to start looking at now to say, let's add a little bit of, of spice into this pot, which into what, what um, 
Paulus taught us up until now. But before we get to, to Ruth and reading into it, I put a little screenshot in here to just to give you some context on Ruth and Naomi. Because they, what, what, what we read in Ruth is not necessarily, we, we don't really grasp the biggest thing. They say moving to a different town is the second highest stressful thing in your life. Has anyone here moved to a different town any time in your life? Do you, keep your hand up if it was not stressful. Thank you, this could have ended badly. Okay. <laughs> See, like the people with, with higher grade math was not just like, thank you, it is super stressful. Now, let me give some context on Naomi and, and, and Ruth. What, what they basically did is they came back after many years in a foreign country. And they come back. And if you look at that screenshot, it's, it, it's, it speaks about the emotional toll it takes on you moving. They're coming back not to a house. There's no estate agent that said, this is the lacquer side of town. He's like, you have to go there. They just come back and say, yes, someone needs to take me in. Both of them lost their husbands. They have no place to go. They don't even know where they're eating or if they are eating tonight or where they're sleeping, but they're saying, go, we will go. That must be one of the most stressful things which you can possibly do. And then it's also a side of us, I don't know, I don't know how we got indoctrined, indoctrinated with this, but it's a side of us which thinks crime is a thing of South Africa and of the 20th century. Back in the Bible time, it's like it was nice. No, there was a lot of crime then. People being raped on the streets, murdered. That was something which, which happened every single day. And imagine two women coming back, no one looking after them. They must have been fearful like no other. Now let's go into Ruth. Cool. So I'm going to start reading for us from verse 1. It says, It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected to El Elimelech, that's her former husband. His name was Boaz. One day Ruth and the, Moab, and the Moabite foreigner said to Naomi, I'm going to work, I'm going out to glean among the sheaves, following after some harvester who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, go ahead, dear daughter. I just want to create the context for you here. She didn't give her permission. It wasn't like, ah, oh, yes, you want to go? Ah, oh, yeah, you should go. They had nothing to eat. If Ruth did not go, that, was, that meant that there will be no food. This was more of a go, dear daughter, please, forget go. And, show, and so she set out. She went and started gleaning in a field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up in the part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law, Elimalak's relative. A little later, Boaz came out, of, out from Bethlehem, greeting his harvesters. harvesters. God be with you, they replied, and, and God bless you. Boaz asked his young servant who was foreman over the farm hands, who is this young woman? Where did she come from? Now, I have a couple of friends who are farmers. If they see someone weird on their farm, this is not how they treat it. Oh, who is that young woman? Bring her in. Uh -uh. It's like, that's, that's, more, that's more how it works. The foreman said, why? That's the, Moab, why? that's the Moabite girl, the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked permission. Let me glean, she said, and gather among the sheaves following after your harvesters. She's been at it steady ever since, from early morning until now, without so much as a break. And that should give you an idea of her desperation. She, not, she does not go and harvest. Gleaning is completely different than harvesting. Gleaning means I search for the little which they have dropped. 
Now, harvesters in these days were paid per weight. I would harvest 20 kilos and get paid for that. So you intentionally don't drop anything. You want to get as much money as I possibly can, and therefore you gather everything you can. Now she says, I'm just going to pick up what they dropped. First sign of desperation. She's been at it all morning without as much as rest. That is on proper desperation from Ruth's side. Then Boaz spoke to Ruth. Listen, my daughter, from now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one and stay close to the young women. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about the thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go and drink from the water buckets that the servants have filled. She dropped to her knees and then bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly? Me, a foreigner. Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you. Heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband. She dropped to her knees and then bowed her face to the ground. Oh, sorry, I was just on that verse. And also, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done and with a generous bonus besides from God to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. She said, oh sir, such grace and such kindness I don't deserve. You've touched my heart, treated me like no one, like one of your own and I don't even belong here. At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some bread, dip it in the wine. So she joined the harvesters and Boaz passed the roasted grain to her. She ate her fill and even had some left over. That must be one of the, the scariest things which could ever happen to someone. Young girl alone and then the boss calls you. And you know it's on these fields which you were up until now. And he says, yo, I want to look after you. I don't know you. I don't know what you've done or I barely know where you've come from, but I want to look after you. And then this completely turns around in an instance. And if you think back a day, just a 24 hour rewind, Ruth and Naomi were in the biggest trouble possible. But God already started taking care of their troubles before they even met Boaz. God already spoke to Boaz, he already spoke to him saying, I want you to come back from Bethlehem on that specific day. I'm opening your heart to this complete stranger which is, on the, which is on your fields. And neither Ruth nor Naomi saw that or could have seen that in the position which they were. They only saw the suffering, the hunger, the moving to a new city, the unknown, the dangers which they are fronting. But the truth is God can and God does already start looking after us through other people. He sends the bowers on our, on our way without us being able to see it or without us even knowing it. And therefore, if we start saying that, God, I do not see a way out, it is still okay. Because God says, Boaz didn't come with you from Moab. He's waiting for you where you're going. All I want you to do is keep going where I want you to go. Because Boaz is waiting for you in God's will. Boaz is not waiting for me outside of God's will. And what we often find ourselves in doing is we say, God, I hear you. I hear that you want me to go here. And then I start moving. And then something goes wrong. And it's like, Eesh, this is not like it. And then we continue moving and something goes wrong. And it's like, this is not like it. And then along the way we say, okay, now yes, Lord. God's will, maybe one step right will be better. But Boaz is waiting in God's will. 
the bowers of our life, the, the preparation which God has done for us will wait in His will for us and only in His will. Because His hand is always a side product of His heart, never the other way around. If we follow God's heart, His preparation and His care for us has already been established there through a Boaz in our lives. I'm going to go to the, to the third, third ingredient in our pot, directly into, into Acts, Acts 16. So here it says, I, I, I deliberately highlighted the, the, top, uh, the um, heading here on Acts 16, where it starts by, a slave girl is delivered. Now that is, this is a setup for for praise. This is like, if a, if, a, if a verse starts like this, a slave girl is delivered. It's like, he's like, here people are going to get praise. It's going to be amazing. This is going to be great. I was wrong. Let's go into it. One day on our way to a place of prayer, a slave girl ran into us. She was a psychic and with her fortune telling made a lot of money for the people who owned her. She started following Paul around calling everyone's attention to us by yelling out, these men are working for the most high God. They're laying out the road of the salvation for you. Now, I should just clear up here. She wasn't proclaiming God's name. She was teasing them. She was mocking them. She is the psychic. She is the one who can tell the future. And now suddenly they are coming in and really telling the future. The Messiah is coming. This is what's going to happen. Repent or, or you don't see God's everlasting life. So, from a spirit of mockery. She did this for a number of days until Paul finally fed up with her, turned, and commanded the spirit that possessed her, out in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of her. And immediately it was done, just like that. Now, in, in my frame of reference at least, this is testimony on his own. You stop here and say, wow, God has been praised. His name has been made great by the deliverance of, of a young girl. But the next heading is a little bit different. I would never have connected these two if you gave me a, that little puzzles when you have children where you have to connect the left side to the right side. Like this, these, these two would never have been connected because it says, Paul and Silas beaten up and imprisoned. When the owners saw that their lucrative little business was suddenly bankrupt, they went after Paul and Silas, roughened them up and dragged them into the market square. Then the police arrested them and pulled them into a court with the accusation. Now listen to this. These men are disturbing the peace. Dangerous Jewish agitators subverting our Roman law and order. But this time the crowd had turned into a restless mob out for blood. I think I speak on all of us behalf if I say we don't like being treated unfairly. Being accused of something which you have not done is something which will ruffle all our feathers. If someone tells you, I saw you doing that last night, and you know that you definitely didn't. There's no way, it was not you. But you have to be on the sanctioned side for that specific act. All of us will be unhappy. I'm convinced about that. But just look at this. From the delivering of a little slave girl, the next, next thing which happens is, we arrest them on the charge of disturbing the peace. What a disconnect between those two. 
And being treated unfairly is something which, which breaks my heart at this point. But I can, I can just lay myself down and say, God, yo, I think I've been treated unfairly. That is next level unfair. How could that be? But if we, if we break it down a little bit and we go a couple of verses back, we realize why. When the lucrative little business these people had now was bankrupt, suddenly we had to find a reason to rest in. Suddenly when, when my pocket starts feeling it, then it's like, yo, God, you first and always first, just except if I'm not making money from it again. I can hear yes, like, God, now we, now we need to chat a little bit. Like, there's faith and church and everything, and there's my finances. When those two collide, yes, like, there's not lack anymore. Like, I will, I will, I will tithe until I suffer, and, and then I don't start tithe anymore. If we go on, it says, the judges went along with the mob, had Paul and Silas' clothes ripped off, and ordered to be beaten in public. After beating them black and blue, they threw them into jail, telling the jailkeeper to put them under heavy guard so there would be no chance of escape. Now just to give you some context here, what the, what the sanction was is they, for them to be beaten by 39, to be given 39 shots. And the reason for 39 was 40 was considered death sentence. And they said, in, in this court, we can't have a death sentence. We'll have to go to, to, a, to a higher authority. But let's get to 39 at least and hope they die. That's what we're going to do. So they were beaten as badly as a person could possibly be beaten without dying at least. But they were given a good chance of dying because right thereafter it says, put them in heavy guard. And what, what this was is that the prison was essentially a cave where they were put into the deepest cells in the prison. No light, no food, nothing, in the hope that, yes, like, at least if they're there, we know they can't escape, and we're going to give them a pretty good chance of never coming out. And the God did just that, threw them into the maximum security cell in the jail and clamped leg irons on them. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust hymn to God. I don't know how they did that. For me to, to, say, to put myself in that situation, not that, not that I think we can imagine how tough that must be, but if I, put, I have to put myself in that situation, there will be a lot of things which I do before I start praising God, before I start, start allowing Him. But then they introduce a couple of other people into the story as well. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then without warning, a huge earthquake the jailhouse tottered, every door flew open, and the prisoners were loose. Startled from sleep, the jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges, assuming that all the prisoners had escaped. He pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. So the context here is the, the head jailer was very well acquainted with the authorities which had to put people in jail. Because they had to trust him. They had to trust him. This guy is not sneakily going to take a, a hundred rand under the table and then let the prisoners go. So they, he was also in a very high position of authority. But he knew, if I do not do what I'm trusted to do by these people, then I am as good as dead. I would rather kill myself than be the next person to take 39 shots to be as close to death as possible. But just before that, Paul stopped him and said, don't do that. We are all still here. Nobody has run away. That also doesn't make sense. But just imagine this jailer saying, I have lost everyone. 
and now I'm going to kill myself because I might as well before I get killed. The next thing he hears is all these people who I have beaten, thrown into jail, has not run away. Suddenly th things are just not making sense. The jail jailer got a torch out and ran inside, badly shaken. He collapsed in front of Paul and Silas. He led them out of jail and asked, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved, to really live? That's the game changer of it all. Had he taken his life, a life would never have been given to Christ. Because at this point, what he essentially asks is, show me your God. What do I need to do to truly live? And that makes me reflect and go two steps back to, to what I said earlier. If I was in that jail cell, praising God would have been quite far back on my priority list. I would, I would have had badly looking wounds, which I probably had to take care of. I would have been hungry. I would have just, I would have felt so sorry for myself. But these two people saying on the top of my priority list, at all stages of my life, is praising God. And at the end of Matthew, he gives us the, Matthew 28, gives us the great, great commission which says, therefore go out, reach nations, make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit and do as I did. That is our command. That's what we need to do. And that's exactly what happened here. That's exactly what happened. Not by them doing anything funny or anything strange. Simply by them saying, my default reaction is praising God. End of story. Because I find my joy not in my circumstances. I find my joy not in my church or in my house or my job or my friends or my family even. Because if Paul and Silas said, we find our joy in our circumstances, in my beautiful church, then the cell which they were in would have been joyless. Because they said, God, my joy is in you and because you saved me. The fact that you died on the cross for me gives me so much joy knowing that hell which is actually destined for me is not destined for me any longer. That's where they find their joy. And then suddenly it starts becoming so much easier to worship God, to praise God. And that's where their hearts were. Their hearts weren't connected to any earthly things because when all those earthly things were stripped away, even their health stripped away, family members stripped away, the long following of people who's come and said, these people are proclaiming the gospel, stripped away. All of that stripped away at once. But their faith or their joy was not in any of that. Because if it were, in that moment, they would not have been able to praise God. The joy was in the fact that God said, I died on the Christ for you, and therefore you are saved. End of story. From there on, they suddenly start praising God. In the darkest of dark, worst of worst places. And suddenly someone comes to God, comes to Christ. I've, I know a guy who... In 2001, God asked him in his quiet time, how much are you willing to pay mon monetary value for one person, salvation? It's an unfair question. It's a very unfair question. And he said, your God, I honestly don't know how to answer it. In 2002, he started the business. The business did very well. The business expanded to Afghanistan. Also did really well. Multi-million business. And because of corruption, that side died. In the case of six months in 2011, the whole company came crashing down. He says with three million rand debt in South Africa. And he says, there's one person who came to salvation that side. Lord, three million rand was the answer to what you've asked me in 2001. 
I sit in the room with three million rand debt now in my 50s with two children last two. But it's okay. It is really okay. Because seeing that one person come to salvation is much, much more worth than this debt which I'll probably not even be able to pay off before I one day lay my head down. And that's exactly what these people were able to do. They were able to say, sure, it is not about the sacrifice, the shots which my body has to take. The jailer says, I know that I am so, so, so much intrigued into this, in this Roman regime, but now, I, now that I can bring, bring you out, I want to be part of you. And listen, it, goes, it gets even better. It goes further and he says, they said, put on your attire, put your, put your entire trust in the master Jesus, then you live as you were meant to live, and everyone in your house included. They went on to spell out in detail the story of the master, Jesus' story. The entire family got in on this party. They never did get to bed that night. So what that tells us is he went to, the, he went to his house. He told the whole family. So not only does this jailer now allow the prisoners to come out, which he initially thought was good enough reason to commit suicide, but he now lets them come out and also invites them to his house to preach to his family. And that night they almost don't go to bed because they're just hearing the true gospel over and over and over. But it gets even better. The jailer made them feel at home, dressed their wounds, and then he couldn't wait till morning. Now imagine this. Less than 24 hours ago, you were okay leaving that people with blood everywhere, terrible wounds, lying in a dark cell without anything. Now suddenly you're dressing their wounds in your own house. There's no way any person can make that change on their own. That's the Holy Spirit coming. But where was the Holy Spirit introduced into his life? By Paul and Silas being able to worship God, to praise God in dark circumstances. And how were they able to praise God in dark circumstances? Their joy is found in their salvation and not in any earthly circumstances. I feel like a glomail advert. But wait, there's more. There in his home, he had food set out for a festive meal. It was a night to remember. He and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in his house was in on the celebration. And in another um, translation, it says, everyone in his house got baptized. Then I missed that. It said, gets baptized. See, I did in my preparation at least. And what an incredible testimony that is from people who, just a day ago, were left for dead. But because their, their joy wasn't in their physical bodies, it wasn't in the, the muscles which I have, or the, the pace at which I can run at, or the clothes which I wear, it was in God and God alone. They could praise in that time. And just look at what happened. Just as a summary, I just want to quickly sketch the situation of what exactly Paul and Silas must have endured. Now, firstly, they were innocently arrested. That's like, that, that's enough for me. Where I'm now in my life, if I get innocently arrested, I'm like, God, I tap out, flip it. I can't, I can't treat this unfairness. That's at least how it feels. Secondly, they were sanctioned without being heard. So, okay, yes, we're going to arrest them, but maybe, just maybe, they, go, they can get out via loophole. So let's just not hear them and just beat them immediately. And then they get ruthlessly beaten. 39 shots in the hope that they die. We're giving them a great chance to die. Then they were thrown in jail with unattended wounds and with no food. 
Like, if that was not a good chance to die, we're going to, like, make it even easier for you to die. And then after that, they were kept in the deepest, darkest cell, like dangerous criminals. We haven't read of, of one of the murder attempts or, or anything which they've done against the Romans, other than proclaiming God's name. And still, they're being treated like the worst kind of criminals. What an encouragement I find in this, is thinking that after those listed those five things, they were able to say, God, I praise you that I don't have to go to hell. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I proclaim your name. You're a great God. You're an awesome God. God of wonders beyond our, our galaxy. You are worthy. That is what they default to in that moment. What an amazing example. The question of how did they do it can only be summarizing in the next two points because it's definitely not from, from earthly power or from from the, what, I pull on my, on what, the, what I pull from my heart when I'm really struggling and, and dig deep, they say, yeah, God, look, look how amazing we are to be able to, to push through. No, none of that. They knew their actions weren't driven by earthly needs, but by godly praise. Because when the earthly needs was excelled, suddenly the earthly needs would have overshadowed everything. But they said, my actions doesn't come from my earthly needs, but from my hunger to praise God. Secondly, when God is truly the most important thing in your life, to praise Him becomes your number one priority. Now, this just broke my heart when I immediately realized that not only does God then become your number, to praise God become your number one priority, but your prayer life suddenly changes as well. Because now what happens is, imagine, imagine the following prayer, not a wrong prayer at all, in that circumstances, in that deepest, darkest cell with your wounds bleeding, saying, God, please help me not to die tonight. God, please send a nurse on our way. God, please send someone to look after these wounds. God, please let one of the gods drop a little bit of food. Nothing wrong with any of those prayers. God answers our prayers. But their top priority was never themselves, their bodies, their well-being, or their health. It was singing a hymn unto God. The first and foremost God of wonders, we praise you for what you've done for us. We praise you that we don't have to go to hell, rather a cell than hell. We come to you and we praise you for this. And the dependent prayer of God, help me in this circumstance. Lord, I need food. I need all of this. I need a nurse. I need my wounds to be looked after. Would have had no impact, probably, probably had no impact on the cell God. But this guy hearing how these guys in these terrible circumstances were able to still find joy in something or someone must have just made such a curiosity, awakened such a curiosity in him. Who is this which they can praise in times like this? I've seen many a prisoner go through these cells. Some of them die. Some of them complain. Most of them swear back at me. These guys just have one person which they are proclaiming, which they are worshiping in this time. And then the earthquake comes and the doors go open. And when this prison guard realizes, wow, these guys could praise someone, a greater God than I know, in these circumstances, there must be something greater which I'm missing. And a life turns to God, a life turns to Christ. At the heck of an expense, but not too big of an expense. 
because the entire heaven celebrated that day when a prison guard turned his life to God. And right thereafter, his entire family and all of them got baptized. So, after our pot has been going for about eight hours, we, we get to this. Uh, this, this, is, this is where we are now. We, we've started with, with our Philippians 4, right in the beginning, and then saying, like, how are we going to, to spice this up? And we add a little bit of Ruth's story to, to say, like, God, God provides for us, even if we don't see it. And then we've added a little bit of, of Acts, where we hear of, of, of how God comes just through to be, be able to renew our minds, our hearts, and I find our joy completely in Him. So let's, let's just quickly summarize what the, the truths which, which God dished up for us here. The first one is to lay down your worries at the cross. What that, what that means, what it means when we're reading in Philippians 4, bring your anxiety, bring your worries to me. Our anxiety about our worldly problems are true and real, and that is true. We can't escape that. But God can attend to these long before we even know about them. God sends the Boaz of our world over, over our paths long before we can see it. So if I have to ask you just for a second, because that's a long will take, think of the biggest worry in your life. It can be personal, it can be a friend, a family member, maybe someone you've prayed for for very long. A job or the lack thereof, a marriage or the lack thereof, health, health of a, of a close family member or friend. That worry... God says, I already have sent Boaz. What I'm wanting you to do is to come in dependence and obedience of me and follow the road which I've set out for you. Second part of Philippians 4 was, find your joy in the Lord, that African song which we've sang so much. And here we, we learn from Paul and Silas what it, what it exactly is to find your joy in the Lord. To find your joy in the Lord is not dependent on our earthly circumstances. Any earthly circumstance which could give Paul and Silas any joy, was taken away. I think that we are all on the same page of. There was nothing earthly for them to find joy in. If we said family, if we said health, if we said a church, a big following, even daylight, even something as simple as, as daylight, all of that was stripped away. And the only reason they could still have joy was because they said, God, my joy is in the salvation of you. The fact that you came and send your son to die for me gives me such great joy that I'd rather sit in a cell than in hell. And that's where my joy is. And that then convicts and transposes into our prayer life. Because the moment they started interacting with God in that situation, it wasn't God helps, send, give. Because I'm, I know when, when I go into my quiet time, I'm a great asker. I'm a fantastic asker. Like, I think if you can like, get an MBA in asking, like it would have been me. I sometimes feel like I, I want to tell God, like, get out your notebook, like, here it comes. Oh, help, 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 help. But here they teach us that that's not how it works. The asking can come later. The, the immediate thing which happens when you set your knee on the ground is, God, I praise you that you saw me worthy to send your son to die for me. Yes, Lord. Rather send me to a cell than to hell. Thank you, Lord, that you came and that you saved me. Lord, I, it gives me so much joy knowing that someday I'm going to be in heaven with you and with all my brothers and sisters who have taken you as the, the Lord, the Savior, the Almighty God. And that gives me so much joy. I can't even stop praying for it. Because now all the ask and all the needs and all the wants, how worthy they sounded two minutes ago, is suddenly just a, a little smidge on the window of the great outlook which I have for life. 
I'm going to pray for us. And I want to encourage you after the prayer to, to continue praying. And, and I'll lead us in that now. Just close your eyes. Dear Lord, thank you that you are the one that gives us eternal joy, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are the one that, that came and sent your, your son to die for our sins, Lord. Not because you didn't have anything better to do, Lord, but because you saw how sinful we are, Lord. Lord, thank you that the earthly sufferings which we, which we see every single day, Lord, that you have already taken care of that, Lord. That you've already sent the boats on, on, on the roads in our life, Lord. He says, not only will I allow you to glean a little bit on my fields, but I'll even tell my people to drop more, more for you, to look after you. Yeah, Lord, I, I thank you that even if we are sometimes a Ruth coming into a, a new country or town without anything to look after us in the materialistic side of the world, Lord, that we know spiritually we are looked after. You are the God, the one who truly never gives up on us. I thank you that you prepare the world for us and that we don't have to see the Boaz waiting for us on the other side, but that we only have to go in step and obedience with what you have planned for us. Lord, I pray tonight for a resurgence in a joy in you, Lord. Joy in you and that only you can give. Lord, I just declare, Lord, that tonight we find our joy in you, Lord, and that, that we will test our hearts, Lord, earnestly test the heart. If we say, if we find ourselves in a place where a close family member should, should pass away and we say, God, how can you do that? That we, it'll be an alarm for us, Lord, and say, Lord, although that person passed away, thank you that I have not lost you. Lord, although I lost my job, thank you that I have not lost you. Lord, although my health is suddenly taken a twist for the worst, thank you that I have not lost you. That is, that is a clear indication, Lord, of, of where we want you to be, Lord. And if, if these examples are convicting to us, Lord, that it's difficult for us to be able to pray, Lord, please come and send that conviction in our hearts, Lord, to say that you should be the top priority and a top priority always because the earthly things will fade and that joy will be inconstant, Lord. We want the consistency which comes with you, Lord, and the joy which can never die down like Paul and Silas showed us, Lord. In your, in your kingdom, Lord, whether it be in a cell or in church or at work or wherever it may be, Lord, we will be constant in proclaiming your name because we find a joy in you and in you alone. Lord, if it is difficult for us to be able to allow anything else to die away and still have you, show us then that our priorities are not always like we want it to be. Lord, allow us to grow into a position to just like Paul and Silas, Lord, be able to say, I proclaim your name first. I might be battered and bruised because of what this world is thrown towards me, but my top priority will stay to proclaim your name. I thank you for, my, for the joy which you put in any one of our hearts. I want to invite you into prayer and to, to talk to God about this, about these two things specifically. If there's a worry in your life, lay it down at God's feet. Say, God, I'm new in this town. I don't know this. I'm really worried about this or this person. But thank you that I know that you have already sent a Boaz on my way. Show me where that way is. And then secondly, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to challenge yourself and ask God to come renew your heart. Just as I had to ask him to renew my heart. And say, God... I find my joy in you and in nothing else. And if I have to choose to lose anything or everything 
and keep my relationship with you, I can honestly say that I will choose you. That's bold and it's difficult. But I want to challenge you tonight to go into that place with God and say, God, if I have to choose health or wealth, a family, friends, job, financial security, if I have to choose any of those things or all of them together instead of you, that I will choose you.